Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Hello again. We're back after quite an extended seasonal break. Had a wonderful Christmas and a new year and all fresh and ready for 2019. Hope the same applies to you. All right, so we're about the halfway mark of our series, which is the church Jesus would attend. And at the beginning of the series, I identified nine indicated of indicators of the presence of the Lord Jesus in a church service, specifically a service. But I did acknowledge that these nine are also ways in which we respond to His presence, and that's really important. So far in the series, I've examined reverent and adoring worship, passionate prayer, and a serious attention to biblical preaching. This article, this podcast, this talk today, is about the fourth indicator, which is an attitude of faith. Attitude of faith. Well, the first problem we encounter with this is obviously the different ways different people understand the word faith. So let me take you briefly through some of the understandings that I've, I've encountered. Well, some folks believe that faith equates to standing on the promises of God, and by that they generally mean the overall promises of Scripture, irrespective of their context, to whom they were originally given, and so on. In other words, find something in the Bible that's a promise and stand on that. Now, some people take this even further by constantly reminding God of what He's promised in the Bible. Yet others even claim that these promises are their specific right. And if they just confess them, then God is bound by His word to fulfill them. And yet others within that side of the church believe that faith is actually a force that they can use to achieve what they want. Okay, on the other hand, of course, on the more conservative side, faith is often seen more as a sort of a mental process, a mental agreeing to something and believing intellectually in something. And sometimes it's even used as a shorthand word for the Christian faith in general. Now, I don't believe that any of these understandings is biblically sustainable. And they certainly don't help us to comprehend how faith can help us to perceive the presence of God. Let's have a look at what the Bible reveals about faith. So in the Old Testament, it's really defined throughout as resting in, trusting, and hoping in God. The idea here is that we should trust Him and commit ourselves to Him. We go to the New Testament, and of course there is the primary definition in Hebrews 11.1, which says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. However, whether you're looking at the Old Testament understanding of faith or the New Testament understanding of faith, biblical faith should never be separated from the one in whom we have faith. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith can't be seen abstractly, as something we have or we control or something we can use and so on. No, our faith is actually in someone. That someone is the creator of all things, the Lord Jesus. So, if we want to experience his presence in the church, in a church service, then surely we need to first believe that he exists. Well, of course, there's no true Christian who would deny that he exists. But here's the thing. 
I'm not sure that too many believe that he is able and willing to presence himself among us in some tangible way. Oh, yeah, he, God is God, and God exists, but will he actually show himself to me, to us? So in a sense, you could say, a lot of people don't have faith for this. But I think a more understandable way of expressing this is they don't expect this to happen. So this is what I want to explore now in in this article. The, the connection between faith and expectation. The connection between expectation and reality. So I know I'm taking just one aspect of faith and I'm not equating it directly with expectation, but I want to move our thinking in that direction. Now, there's been a theory around for decades that we only see what we expect to see. And I dealt with this briefly in my book, Prayer, Power and Proclamation. In there, I told what is a sort of a traditional story, maybe apocryphal, but actually it's got too much substance behind it to be totally divorced from facts. The story is as follows. When the conquistadors arrived from Spain in Central America for the first time in their huge big galleon, a great ship with its sails, and they, they went to, onto shore in their longboat and they got off and they encountered the local Incas. The Incas thought that they had come directly out of the sea. Why? Because apparently they could not see the ship, but the ship was right there offshore. Bold as brass for everybody to see. Surely, surely the Spaniards saw it well enough, and they had come from it well enough, but the Incas couldn't see it. The story goes further that the Spaniards started to talk to, as much as they could, I suppose, through sign language and what have you, to the holy man, the wise man in the tribe, and tried to explain to him, but of course he, he couldn't understand. But then one day he was gazing out at where the conquistadors kept pointing, and he noticed that the water was different in one spot. It kind of seemed to be lapping up against something. Now, now that he could understand, that he had seen water lapping up against rocks. And as he made this connection that there must be a shape, there must be something there that it's lapping up against, suddenly he started to see. So the idea was he couldn't see it at first because his brain did not process it because it wasn't supposed to be there. He didn't expect it. Now, until recently, this idea has not been embraced by science at all. However, very recently, two people, Thomas Mertzinger and Awanya Weiser of the Johannes Gutenberg Universität, launched a website very recently where they are publishing articles and debating this very subject. And the latest research which is coming to light suggests that we, certainly in part at least, create reality inside our brains based on our prior knowledge and prior experience. So this then influences how we see the world around us. So subconsciously, we are making predictions about what we should be seeing that are based on what our brains expect to see, what comes from our prior experience. So in other words, much of our reality is what we expect it to be. Interesting. Maybe that makes a bit more sense of Hebrews 13 verse 2 where the writer says, you know what, you, you, you should entertain strangers. You should always be hospitable to strangers, strangers. Because then it goes on and says, because they, you might be entertaining angels without knowing it, without recognizing them, without 
discerning who they really are. So one of the implications for us, certainly within the context of the series, of this particular idea, is that we are unlikely to perceive as reality anything we don't expect to be part of our reality. So if we don't expect to experience the presence of the Lord Jesus in a church service, then the chances are pretty good that we won't. I understand that he needs to take the initiative. He needs to to reveal himself to us. But if we do not expect to perceive him, then what are the chances really that, that we will actually receive what he is seeking to reveal? You see, spiritual beings of all descriptions currently exist in dimensions beyond our normal three dimensions of height and length and depth. And if we are to encounter them, Firstly, they need to initiate the experience, but secondly, we need to expect to experience their presence. Let me give you two examples, one from the Old and one from the New Testament. Do you know, I'm sure you remember the wonderful story of Elisha, and he's standing with his servant outside the city, and the servant's knees are trembling because what he can see is the enemy armies that are approaching the city, and he thinks they're they done for. Oh, he thinks that they are going to be overrun. So then Elijah says to him these words, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And it says, And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 2 Kings 6, verses 16 to 17. God opened his eyes, but he still had to look. He looked and he saw. Now, something sort of similar happened in the New Testament. Now, Jesus has died. Resurrection Sunday has come. The disciples have rushed to the empty tomb, and then they go back to wherever they'd come from, upper room or whatever, and they leave Mary alone at the empty tomb. Now, Interestingly, Mary stands outside the tomb crying, and then she bends over and looks through the low entrance into the tomb, and she sees two angels. We can only assume that within her culture, to see angels was actually quite an expected thing, because their law and their myth and their legend and their experience was that angels often appear to people. But they saw, she saw these two dressed in white, and they said to her, Woman? Why are you crying? And she replies, They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this moment she turns around, facing back out towards the garden, and she sees Jesus standing there. But she doesn't recognize that it is Jesus. He says to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And then listen to what it records. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher. You know, that's in John 20, verses 10 to 16. Okay, there are many reasons maybe why she didn't recognize him and thought he was the God. Now maybe she was almost half blinded by tears and so on. But interestingly, as soon as he gives her a second clue, as soon as he gives her an audible prompting of who he is, a voice that she dearly recognizes, immediately she sees him. 
and recognize him. Now, funny enough, I had a similar experience in my own life. It wasn't a supernatural thing at all, but it was many, many years ago. And my father was very elderly. It was within maybe six months of him dying, I think. Uh, and my mom and dad lived down in the Cape. And I was asked to go down to that area to go and marry a couple who were members of my church here in Johannesburg. But they, their family was in Cape Town and they wanted to get married there. So I flew down. And then I stayed with my sister. Both my sisters also live there. I then got into my rented car and I drove off to the wedding venue or to the actual chapel. And as I got out of my car, I saw my dad being chauffeured, being driven up in another car. And the man who was driving it for him opened the door and helped him out. Now, I hadn't seen him yet. So I walked up to him and I said, Hello, Dad. And he looked at me with a totally blank expression. And he said, Good day. And who might you be, young man? I think that's the last person who's ever called me young man. But then I just said, Dad, it's me, Christopher. And then as I said that, you know, yeah, he twigged. He needed these two connectors because he wasn't expecting to see me. And I hadn't told them I was coming because I wanted it to be this surprise for them. All right, so I think a major factor in Mary not recognizing Jesus was that she didn't expect to see him alive and well. So now let's apply this idea to our experience of what happens in a church service. So to experience the presence of God in a church service, we need firstly to believe, we need to have faith, that he is present with us, not just that he exists, but that he is present with us and pleased to reveal himself to us. Secondly, we need to expect that this will happen, and we need to expect this with enough passionate conviction that our brains will be able to accept this as a new part of our present reality. How do we express this? How do we express our faith in the reality of the Lord's presence in a service? I think a number of ways, but let me just give you three. One is by speaking to Him personally and directly. You know, so much of the prayer that goes on in a church service is indirect and impersonal. It's almost like in the third person, as if he's not really there, but we're kind of reciting these prayers for each other. But if we would start to address him directly in our corporate prayers, then surely that's an expression of our faith that he's actually present. And an expression of our expectation that we all encounter him. Secondly, I think by purposefully seeking some signs, and I don't, I don't mean signs from heaven here, I mean indicators of his presence in the environment around us and within the service. So we're alert, we're looking, we're expecting. You know, will he show himself? Will he be right next to me? Will he be in the front? You know, where are you, Lord? I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm expecting. And then thirdly, Acting on any genuine glimpses we might have of him, we, you know, they might just be glimpses at first. Like the Inca wise man who saw the water lapping in a strange pattern. Things might happen in the service where you say, Hello, that's not normal. There's something. I think this is the Lord's hand. I, I believe he's here and he's doing something. Now we can respond to that in some physical way. We could respond by falling down on our knees to worship Him. We could stand with arms raised high instead of in our pockets looking around. 
or we could speak out loud and declare his wonderful presence and many other ways but we give expression to our expectation and what we are starting to perceive of his revealed presence now i know i stand the risk of being a little presumptuous i've done that a number of times i guess in this series but i really would like to think that the lord jesus would be very happy to be among people who believed he is with us and to expect to encounter him in a meaningful way i think as much as i know of him in his word and in experience that this would be a very happy experience for him to be expected to be the one who is expected and perceived and responded to and encountered so in my next article i want to go on to the next of these indicators of the lord's presence and it's a very important subject in much of the church. It's a neglected subject in anything but the charismatic parts of the church. And that's the subject of ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. Responding to the Holy Spirit's presence and His empowering and ministering to others in the name of Jesus. Until then, God bless you. See you again soon. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, Truth Talks.